Hello, and welcome to episode five of season three of Relay Essay, a connected conversation about student affairs in Canada. The whole idea behind the podcast is that every single person we interview gets to give us a few names of folks we should interview next, kind of passing a baton along from interview to interview. That's the relay part. The essay stands for student affairs, which is mostly what we talk about on this podcast. Now, if you remember back to when I interviewed Amy Gockel and Mark Solomon, they both gave me some amazing names of folks that I should interview next. One of them stood out for a few reasons. Marty Williams. I mean, Marty is kind of famous in my mind. He has a deep history of student affairs in Canada because of his involvement in student government, his experience as a student life professional, and as someone pretty heavily involved in caucus. Also, spoiler alert, Marty's pretty interesting because he found a new career outside of student affairs, so it's kind of interesting to hear from someone who has shifted gears out of the field. Marty was kind enough to travel to Toronto for a quick drink and a wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Adam Hewitt, what are you doing? Who will you talk to today? It's Relay Essay. All right, we're recording. Do you wow. To, <laughs> do you want to tell us Like name? magic. I'm Marty Williams. Marty Williams. And you were nominated to be interviewed by Mark Solomon and Amy Gockel. And they were curious to nominate you because, A, of your experience in student affairs, but also you are no longer currently working in the field. You moved on to other endeavors. That's right. And I, and I did hear their, their interview, and I just want you to tell everybody that I'm actually wearing pants. <laughs> so I showed up with pants on, Mark. I can... I can speak and share that Marty's fully clothed, pants and all. Um, all right, so I, there's so much to cover, I hardly know where to start. So you, um, where are you local to? Where did you, before you went to your undergrad, where did you live? I grew up in Bramley, which okay. uh, is part of Brampton now, but at the time it was, it was more separate. I was born in British Columbia, grew up, went to high school in Bramley, and went to the University of Guelph. My father grew up in Guelph, and my grandparents are buried there. Okay. Uh, so there's been... The Williams family arrived in 1922. Okay. And so 95 years of a Guelph connection city. Holy smokes. Anyway, so my dad grew up there, went to high school there, went off to war, and then came back and then left. But visiting my grandparents, and I, I, I guess I always just associated with... Uh, university with Guelph, and so right. I somehow I ended up there, and I always knew that I was going to go to the University of Guelph, and I had no interest in agriculture or veterinary medicine or any right. of the classic things. So back in 1977, it was it was really, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, quite new, the uh, the arts, and uh, it had only been a university at that point for 13 years. So right. So it was it was nothing to do with the program. I think it had everything to do with the location being about an hour away from home, right. uh, some kind of an ancestral connection. Uh, by the time I showed up there, so I always like to tell the story and say that. And then finally, I have a son now who's uh, about to turn 13, and and he was born in Guelph. So he's the first one in four generations to be born there, and okay. uh, so we all have a, a connection to Guelph, but a different one. Nice. So what did you study? I studied anything they'd let me into. Okay. <laughs> anything that I was curious about, 
uh, I took a lot of different courses, uh, you know, English, psychology, drama, uh, all the things that I had to take uh, for the, the breadth requirements. But I ended up with a degree in philosophy. Okay. I, I just went to, I, I was so scattered and unfocused, but I thought, you know, I should really get a degree and get out of here. And I uh, went to, uh, uh, to see my academic counselor, who turned out to be Brenda Whiteside, who's the oh, VP Simmons. <laughs> yeah, she was working in the academic counseling office, and I said to her, uh, can I get a degree in English? And she looked at my transcript, and, you know, uh, I won't pretend that it's anything but spotty. Uh, <laughs> and she said, nah, that's not going to work. She said, but if you take another couple of philosophy courses above the 300 level, you can get a general degree in philosophy. And I said, sold. So I did, and I was really, looking back on it, it's probably the best advice and the best thing I did for a career because, as you know, you know, you have to have a, some kind of university degree for anybody to even look at you. Right. And uh, I have some kind of university <laughs> degree, so they look at me. But uh, it, it is, uh, I worked in advertising in Toronto. I worked in, uh, in student services. I worked uh, in, a, in a number of places. And every one of those places, that was a requirement, and I was so happy. I tell anybody, if they're close to it, and they're feeling like they're running out of steam, get a degree in something, because it's always going to be helpful. Right, absolutely. But don't ask me anything about philosophy, because uh, the only thing I could do is sing you the Monty Python philosopher's song. <laughs> and were you... Like, I did a bit of digging around, and I think you were involved with some student governance and a few other yeah. bits. Were you an involved student? I was. That's why my transcript is so spotty. Fair. I, uh, I was a, a, a writer at the newspaper. I, you know, I, I fancied myself uh, uh, the great Canadian novelist. It didn't turn out that way. Um, but I wrote for uh, student newspapers for a long, long time. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, re I remember one of the things I wrote was... Uh, Love will come and go, but a zero on your transcript is forever. So I was, a, I was very involved. But again, I, I went to university not thinking I had any plan or any... I wasn't looking for an outcome. I was looking to grow up. I was looking to expand my horizons, to uh, take things that interest me, meet new people. Uh, expand, you know, it, so it, it, was, it was fine. And... I was way more interested in writing for the newspaper and and being involved in campus politics than I was in, in classwork. Right. But that was fun. That was fine, and that's played out pretty well for you, I think, over the long term. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> I think the jury's still out on that one. Uh, you know, you see uh, some people who had that, uh, that focus and that, you know, they knew what they wanted to do early on, and they're uh, very successful, and, you know, they're... they're Cracking the top of the sunshine list, as they say. Right. So, so you're involved in student governance, government, uh, and you're writing. And then, how did that transition into? Did you go right into student services, or did you go into advertising well, for a bit first? Yeah, I went. Uh, so I was the editor of the campus paper at, at the University of Guelph, the yeah, Ontario. Ontario. Yeah, I was the entertainment editor back when I, you know, could have a serious conversation about modern music. I have no idea what's going on anymore. Uh, and I was the editor-in-chief, and I thought, that's the ultimate, that's great. Uh, I, I've, I've done it all in graduating with a degree. I've, I've been the editor of the Ontarian. This has been good. 
but I went to Toronto uh, for three years and decided to come back. And I think I was fooling myself saying I'm going to go back and do a graduate degree in something. I didn't have, I had no inclination to do that. I just wanted to move back to Guelph, I think. And I did and got involved in um, starting up another campus paper. We founded the, the Peak oh, nice. uh, back in 1988 with, uh, with a couple other uh, <laughs> uh, folks, no, one of notable of whom in the student service world, Nona Robinson, who is the uh, Dean of Students at Trent, uh, or the VP of Students or the Vice Provost or whatever her title is. Sorry, Nona, if I got it wrong. <laughs> But back in uh, 1988, and with another guy named Doug Powell, so Nona and Doug and I started a new newspaper. And then, just to top it off, at I think I was almost 30 by this point, or I was 30, I decided to run for student union president. So I had been the editor of the Ontario and started up another paper, and then decided I was going to get serious about campus politics. I had run for president once before and came in a solid third. And this time, quite surprisingly, I won. And then I won the next year again. So I did that for two years. Wow. And then uh, there was, at, at Student Housing Services at the time, there was a guy named Alan Folds, who's still in Guelph. Hi, Alan, if you're listening. Who was um, a, a bit of an iconoclast, I would say. A bit of a, a guy who's got... Uh, I don't know what his reasons were, but he liked me, and uh, and my friend Heather Lane Vitier, uh liked me too, and she would you know speak on my behalf because by this time I've got I've, I've got a reputation as a rabble rouser as a you know I'm, I'm a student politico and I'm I'm there challenging the establishment, applying for a job uh, to work for that that very uh, the very beast that I've been uh, poking at. For a long time, and uh, and again, surprisingly, I got offered a job as a residence manager at Prairie Hall at the U of G. And uh, without uh, Alan and Heather, I'm, I'm sure I would be doing something completely different, I, or I never would have had that uh, student service career. And was this like who was part of this cohort of the other residence managers? Oh, they're like the men you couldn't hang. <laughs> Because it was that John Conrad. Yeah, yeah, that, that whole... So Heather, who is a vice provost student at Ryerson, uh, Janet Morrison, right. who was uh, recently at York as VP students and now is at, at Sheridan as VP something else, but she's not in student service. She's a vice provost. Yeah. John Conrad, St. Lawrence College, uh, and uh, Jason Hunter, who is the senior student affairs person at Humber. So, was there Chris and Chris Patton? So Chris Patton he, he, was in Australia. He's still. A, yeah, when I went to do teachers college there, Heather introduced us, and he would take me out because we were in the same town. Oh so really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know you yeah. went to Australia for teachers yeah. college. Yeah, Chris Patton, uh, who is. Yeah, and he's he's you know way up in the uh, in the echelons in, in uh, Australian universities. So uh, we all started. There was no. Um, this was all new at Guelph when we started to be a residence manager, made a full-time professional position versus a part-time grad student position as a hall advisor. And it was so much fun. I mean, it was challenging, it was interesting. 
uh, and the and there were eight of us working together. Murray Ferguson, who's a State Farm agent in Kingston now. Uh, Bruna Corbesi, who is who worked for public health for a long time. Uh, she was doing her. Uh, she was a graduate student who was doing her uh, dissertation on toplessness behavior in women, and and so we had plenty of good discussions about that. And it was just you just really felt like you were at the beginning of something with those people. It was great, interesting, challenging times. And you kind of really were at the beginning because you were among the first full-time professional resonators. Yeah, at least in kind of southern Ontario, if not like most of Canada. Right? Yeah, it seemed that way. That That's when it started. So that was 1991 when we started uh, that. And, uh, and Guelph was certainly uh, cutting edge around uh, things that were going on in student service and res life. And, and I think they had, they had uh, commissioned a study and then they, the conclusion they drew was that, they, that students in residence, the demographic was changing and they needed to have uh, more uh, professional full-time attention paid to what it means to run a resident life program. Right. Did you have a sense at the time that you were kind of at ground zero of this? Well, yeah, because we had no playbook. Right. We had nothing to work with. We had no, we, we basically wrote our own job descriptions. Uh, and, you know, uh, much smarter people than me, or uh, at, at least people who had, had more uh, uh, experience and consideration, uh, Janet and Heather especially, uh, knew had a, had an inkling and an idea about what we what that should mean, and um, it worked out. I think we I think we left a good uh, a good template uh, after three years, and like I said, most of those people went on to very successful careers in student services. Wow. And how long were you uh, managing Prairie Hall for? I did Prairie for two years and then East for a year. That's they used okay. to, the joke was at the time, you know, that's like the retirement villa because it's uh, because it's a sweet style residence and the, the interactions are much less. Uh, right. the, the, there's not there weren't many first year students at the time, so people had sort of figured it out and who they wanted to live with, so the, there was less conflict and right. less. So it's a bit of a quiet time. I lived in East in my first year, oh. Glengarry, 11th floor. Uh, and that was one of the first years where there were, I think, 50 or 60% of the population was first year. So yeah. it was kind of going through, now everything was mostly first year. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you turned out well. But I yeah. mean, I think the, the, the theory was never that, you know, first year students should be, they could be in pretty small pockets of six. You know, in the sweet style residences, it's, it could be pretty isolating, and and for people that don't uh, socialize well. But the demographics were playing havoc with trying to hold that tide back, right. because there just wasn't room for all the first year uh, students in all the in all the traditional mm -hmm. kinds of residences. Yeah. I've, you know, I've argued this before. I think uh, the trend in student housing away from uh, what used to be, you know, double-loaded dormitories and things, and everybody thought they're being so progressive and so modern, giving people what they want, you know, uh, their own bedroom with their own bathroom and their own little kitchenette. Right. But it's 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 isolating. It it doesn't work. You know, after Guelph, I, I came to work uh, at the University of Toronto at University College with a couple of really old dormitory style. I mean, 
uh, Whitney Halls back from the 1920s. Right. Uh, it was an all-female residence, and it became co-ed with a shared uh, shared washroom, uh, multi-gender washrooms, and people living in and amongst each other. And they went to a traditional dining hall, and it was one dining hall on campus, and sections of that house sat at the same table every day. And you know what? It worked. Right. There was there was integration. There was people looked after each other. People knew each other. They took care of each other. Less, uh, less friction, less, uh, less conflict than there, than there was in these other things. And I thought it was a ridiculous thing to, to be building all this student housing that was just isolated, especially for first-year students. Isolating them. How in the world would a first-year university student know? I mean, yeah, if I was given the choice... I, in, in first year, I, I probably would have picked, yeah, I want my own thing, I want to be, I, I think that would be better for me. Right. It's not better for you. And, and, and um, I'm, I'm saddened that, that we've gone on this, uh, this, uh, this trend towards this isolationist thing. The sweet style that you mentioned in East uh, is, is it some indication, but we've gone further down the road than that. I mean, for senior students, sure. But first-year students, second-year students, they need to mix it up. And, and, and it, it's, it's strange to say, but I think there is less conflict. Here's the difference. It's like when you're in your car, everybody can be an idiot in their car. They scream, they right. swear, they call everybody things that they would be mortified to call them if we're walking down the sidewalk. But on a crowded sidewalk of Canadians... We're the most pleasant people. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, after you. Let me hold this door for you. Everybody's... Because you have to, because you're in it together, you have a, a different kind of social contract. Like a shared fate. Yeah. Some sort. And that's what, that's what dormitory-style uh, residence uh, living is. At least that was my experience. When I, when I came to U of T and saw that, uh, I, I went, this is what we should be building. Right. We should be replicating this. Mm. This is this is building community. This is what works. And how long is so at UC for a couple years? Five years. Five years. And then, uh, and was that when you kind of moved up to York, or when did that happen? No, I so uh, so. Let me tell just let me tell you the U of T year. So I was uh, I I came and I was uh, the the student uh, student advisor, student group advisor. I forget what I was called. Anyway, I worked with the, the Literary and Athletic Society, the LIT. The LIT? The LIT, the student government at UC and, and all the other uh, student groups and organizations. And after I'd been there for a couple years, uh, the dean of students, Jana Luker, who's now at Western, who started at Guelph also. All the good people started at Guelph, Adam, you know that. Um, <laughs> She decided that she was going to go with her family on a circumnavigation of the Atlantic Ocean in her boat. And so I said, well, that would be fun for you, but what, what happens here? And so we decided, or we figured out that I could be the acting dean of students. So in the fourth year, I basically job shadowed her, and then the fifth year, um, I became the acting dean of students. Then Nona Robinson took my job. Okay. And then Jana came back, and I left. And then Jana left to go to uh, St. FX. 
and Nona took her job. Okay. So it's... Those are the dominoes. Yes. And of course, we're out from Guelph. Connection runs deep. It does. Um, and so... So when you moved on from UC... Yeah, uh, I... Was it just up to the north end of Toronto, New York? No, or? no. I thought it was done with it. I thought that, that was it. That was fun. Every time I turn around and say that, uh, you know, <laughs> I keep trying to get out and they keep dragging me back in. Um, in a lovely way, and I'm, I'm grateful. I really am. Uh, so I went... I moved back to Guelph. Uh, single guy. I... You know, just didn't know what I was gonna what I was gonna do, but I was I was I think I was done with Toronto. I think I was done with student services. I thought I was, and I uh, I did some freelance work. I worked for Caucus doing uh, communique, and I did some uh, some a newswire service on student services. And I thought I can keep my hand in that way and uh, and and make that kind of a freelance contribution. And uh, then I got married and had a kid. And my wife and I looked up after a couple of years of, of that, and she was she was working for herself too, and said, you know, one of us needs to get a real job with benefits and things like that, because this is uh, uh, this is not trending in the right way. And so I said, okay, well, I'll I'll see if I can get back into the students. I I, I kept my uh, connections through caucus and through other things. And uh, it said that I got an opportunity to interview, and I got a job at York. And uh, Frank Capadocia, who was the uh, the director of the student community and leadership development, um, hired me or, or, or created a position for me and, and hired me to work with student governments again and student clubs, and uh, and it, it was it that put that hat back on, get back on that horse and start to ride. And, uh, and I had five years at York and it was a lot of fun. At, at York, I had um, three different jobs. So I, was, I, I did uh, the assistant director of uh, student life for a while. And then I was a senior policy advisor to the VP students, and I ended up as the director of the... Uh, I renamed the, the department to the Office of Student Conflict Resolution, or OSCAR. I hear they've renamed it again. But I thought my name was perfect for it, OSCAR. Yeah, so I was the director of OSCAR. <laughs> Won no Academy Awards, but I was the director of OSCAR. And it was, you know, that was the great thing about York was... Got the opportunity to do a whole bunch of different things. Uh, you know, this is, being the senior policy advisor to the VP students was great. Very, you know, living in your head and trying to figure these things out, policy papers and this and that. And I also had the opportunity while I was at York for the, the whole five years I was there to be um, the, the staff member that was helping out with uh, uh, Aboriginal student services. And, and what was great about that is because I, I'm not an Indigenous person. I don't, I don't have any history that I know of in, uh, as an Indigenous person. And, and learned a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton uh, about uh, Aboriginal student services, which we called it at the time. And, you know, Randy Pitawanaquat, uh, who was the, was the sole staff member there at the time, 
you know, is a great tutor for me on on all these things and and to try the the interesting thing for somebody not from that community and how to how to help uh, in a, in a in a respectful way how to how to ask what first before you go and try to try to do that you know so it was it was a it was a great experience and that was the sort of the, the constant over the five years at York while these other things changed and I and I I, I kept it because I said to um, my boss the VP Rob Tiffin uh, you know we uh, you know if, if you just keep passing if we just keep passing this on to somebody the learning curve is so long right. unless there unless there is somebody who is an indigenous person uh, who who can who can be at this level uh, helping out helping find the resources for this uh, let me I know it doesn't make any it doesn't make any organizational sense but it makes some logical sense because you know we can we can keep doing that we can build on it rather than that and uh, I met Mark well did I meet Mark Solomon through that I don't know but Mark was also very helpful uh, with my education in uh, Aboriginal student services when he was he was doing that uh, at Seneca and, uh, and and as an indigenous person himself uh, he he could he could he could really help me understand what the, where the right ways to engage uh, might be. Uh, so yeah, it was it was great. I had a great time at York. Only only thing, and I you know I might have stayed if they would have me, if they would have kept me um, at York. Except that I was still living in Guelph. I still had a young son, uh, and there was nowhere. As I said, I grew up in Bramley, and I wasn't going to move back to Bramley. Um, and it was just the, the commute was the soul-sucking, <clears throat> absolutely soul-draining commute. Well, I did it a whole bunch of different ways. You know, take a go bus, it would be like an hour and 45 each way. Oh, boy. The, go tr- the go train, which at the time when we went to Georgetown, that was a, a little bit, maybe an hour and a half each way, driving to Georgetown, taking the train, taking the bus. But it was just not... Uh, this is not the life I wanted to live. Sure. The work was great, and the commute was absolutely awful. Um, you know, you working at York too was was an eye opener because I had been student union president, and now I was talking to student union people at York. And if I ever thought that, you know, we 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 solidly disagreed with. Uh, things that the university administration did at University of Guelph. But I think we always engaged with them, mostly. I, I, I made a few blunders. I said a few things I'd like to take back. But mostly we engaged with them in, in respectful ways, just recognizing that we had difference, uh, a different point of view and we came from a different place on a number of issues. And, you know, fight the good fight and, and hope that you uh, make a difference. But at York, it was it was personal. It was confrontational. It was oh, yeah. really, really, uh, really quite nasty. Uh, it was really uh, there was a real stonewall around any any sense of engagement. And it didn't matter what kind of credentials he could put on the table. I think Frank perhaps thought when he hired me that 
that that this cred for being on the CSA. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I know about you know Canadian Federation of Students. I was there at the second meeting of the Canadian Federation of Students in Victoria, uh, way like way back in the day. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so, I, and I knew I, I knew a lot of the people and a lot of good friends that had been uh, in the federation, but the world had changed, and there was there wasn't any if you were on one side or you were on the other, and there wasn't. I mean, you start from the premise that you're the enemy, and right. you know you go from there. So it was it it was kind of sad. So right. I was I was happy to get into more uh, policy things and into the conflict resolution office. And then currently, and I'm probably skipping a few steps here, but now you're the executive director of the Downtown Guelph Business Association. Yeah. So how did that happen? And you have a whole whack of nonprofit experience with Hillside on the board, and yeah. um, which is a music festival that's coming up, not this weekend, but next weekend. That's but right, yeah. yeah. The 13th, 14th. Yeah. It it was an it was an odd thing, um, but again there was um, I'd applied I'd applied for a number of jobs, and uh, just to get closer to home, and and this one came up, and I didn't hear anything. I, I love telling the story because I think maybe there's learnings in it, as they say. Um, I was. Uh, Having a uh, having a coffee in a cafe in downtown Guelph, and an old friend from university student politics days runs a cafe there. His name's Mark Rodford, and I knew that he was on the the board of the business improvement area in downtown Guelph. And I said, "Hey, did you ever hire for that position?" And he goes, "No, we just can't find the right person. There's you know too much of this, not enough of that kind of thing." And I went, "Ah, well." You know, I applied for the job, right? He said, no. And it turned out that they had hired an HR person to file through the, the, the resumes. And she looked at me, student service guy, what does he know about business improvement areas or running an association or any of these things? And so he got my uh, resume pulled from the slush pile, and I got an interview and I got the job. And it wasn't like I was trying to call him a favor. It's just because I bumped into him and just by casual conversation said, oh, wow. hey, did you ever hire for that? Yeah, you know, you know I applied. And it was one of, those, one of those funny things. So it's been, really, it's been really interesting. And I tell people that in this thing, I've come full circle because I was the, my, my first, well, I guess my first thing was the student newspapers. But when I was a student union president, we used to uh, have so, student unions basically have services they provide to their membership. They have events and activities so people feel good and they they, they have fun and do these things. And you, you stand up and advocate for better conditions for your members. That's what you do. And if you're a BIA, you do exactly the same things. And so I said the best training I had was you know, 30 years, 25 years beforehand, right. uh, being a student uh, union president. Because I said, you know, back in the day at the University of Guelph, there were 12,000 undergraduate students. I would say, you know, 12,000 people have got 13,000 different opinions about what you ought to be doing. <laughs> right. And it's the same thing. Now I'm working with, 
you know, shopkeepers and developers and, and big business and medium-sized business all in this area who all have very different ideas about what you ought to be doing sure. with your, you know, with the 40 hours a week plus that you have. And uh, so I'm an association manager again. So it's been, it, it's been great, and it seems like it kind of did lead up to this point. Because I find myself standing in front of city council the way I used to stand in front of board of governors or, uh, you know, any, any sort of committee of, uh-huh. and investigating this or that. So it's all been, it's all been useful. And I think, I think most, if you're doing, you know, any kind of uh, job, a career that if, if, if you can take something away from it, if you can learn things from it, it's always going to be useful. You can never say... I was a housing manager for five years, and that didn't get me anywhere. You know what? You think of the skill set that you were building up at that time. Right. Think of the think of the challenging uh, times that you had, and how you dealt with that, good and bad. How you you might have flubbed it sometimes, and you sure. might have knocked it out of the park. I hope you knocked it out of the park. Uh, or in retrospect, now you know how you could have knocked it out of the right. park. Yeah, well, that was a fastball. I should have swung at that. Um, <laughs> So it, it's, it's, been, it's been really good. And I, like I said, I, th- I think that you know, pivotal moments in my career path have been around people uh, taking a chance on me who, who knew something uh, who, or who saw something in me or who recognized a transferable skill from one to the other. Mm. So I got the job at, at, uh, at U of G because Alan Folds, uh, was being a bit of a bit of a devil and knew that I was a bit of a rabble rouser and on the other side Heather Lane uh, could could explain to people that I actually was a, a pretty nice guy I don't know if she'd say that anymore but <laughs> I'll have to ask her and uh, when I came to U of T it was because Jana Luker uh, I got hired uh, because she knew me and she knew what I had done and knew me by uh, by seeing what I had done as a resident manager and all the other things at Guelph, too. And then Frank at York, and so, and then Mark Rodford to get the current job. So I can, I can pinpoint, you know, four people. That's, that's basically, that's my career. Otherwise, I'd be, you know, living in a cardboard box or playing a very bad version of Mr. Bojangles on the guitar at the bus station. Um... I want to circle back to your involvement with Communicate because I remember I think I first learned about you with your uh, column. Yeah. Was it called Big Mouth Strikes Again? Big Mouth Strikes Again, yeah. How did that start? And tell me about your experience writing that. So at my university newspaper days, I had um, written a column called The Last Poor York from 1978, took it to the peak with me and wrote there weekly for 10 years. And it seemed like I was always, I was thinking about this the other day. When I was a residence manager, we had, my contribution was, we put out a a monthly newsletter for the RAs called Raw, Raw, Raw. (laughs) And I was the editor of that. So I'd always been writing and always had that. And I liked the Smiths on Big Big Mouth Strikes again. Jim Delaney, God rest his soul and bless his heart, had been the editor of the there was a division of caucus called SASA yep. student affairs and services student affairs and services uh, association. services association yeah. 
which was way better than sad, which was student affairs division. <laughs> what division are you in? I'm sad. Uh, so they had improved that at least. And he was the editor of the newsletter at the time, and he said, well, I'm going on to be the, the division something, treasurer, president or something. You should do the newsletter. And I said, okay, I'll do the newsletter. And I, I'm going to write a, an opinion piece in the newsletter because that's, you know, that's what I do. Is you can't tell I'm opinionated. Uh, but so I, uh, what am I going to call it? I'm not going to call it The Last Poor York. I'm going to call it, oh, how about Big Mouth Strikes Again? Uh, sort of take the wind out of anybody's else because that's what I'm doing. It's an opinion piece. It's not, I'm not, sure. you know, it's not, it's not a reference piece. I'm not, I'm not digging up all the, all the proofs of this. It's just my opinion. Uh, which, uh, if I had just stuck with it, I could be a, I could be a hero in the Donald Trump era. Because apparently, you don't need to know anything. <laughs> you just have to have an opinion about it. Uh, but alas, my timing has always been crap. Um, so. I did that, and then there was a, a movement in caucus to... Every, all the divisions had their little newsletters, whether good, bad, or indifferent, and they thought, well, we should bring these together, take the resources of all this and, and professionalize it, have a, a graphic designer and an editor and, and all this. So I became the editor of Communique and uh, continued writing Big Mouth Strikes again. And uh, I managed to do that in, in every issue of Communique until, uh, until I stopped or until uh, our, our, our relationship was severed. And uh, I, I, I think I had maybe one or two where um, it was serious, quote unquote. I think maybe I wrote about university residents shouldn't be isolating people. And then I thought to myself, you know what? Everybody gets, there's so much that is so, you know, uh, serious and deep and everything like that. Yeah. Is it possible, is it even possible to write a lighthearted, humorous, take, a take an issue and just twist it a little bit uh, approach? And I hope I did that. And I hope I did that in a lighthearted enough way that, uh, you know, that, that people wouldn't take offense. I, I think maybe some did on occasion, but, you know, my intention was merely to, uh, I don't know, to entertain, to, to poke a few holes, maybe to, uh, to say the, uh, the things that some people might be thinking, uh, and, uh, and, and, and just, just to keep it lighthearted. And I, th I think it was, uh, it was quite popular among those that liked it, liked it. Yeah. <laughs> and, I look forward to it. And, uh, well, thank you very much. And I, I enjoyed, uh, enjoyed writing it. And even when I wasn't, um, uh, you know, I wasn't being employed by an institution, uh, I, I still found, you know, I was still in touch with all the issues because I was doing the newswire and sending, like I was, I was searching all the time for uh, interesting pieces around student services around the country, around the world, that people might be interested in. And so I'm reading all these things, so I'm, I'm up to date about what some of the issues are and, and what's going on, even in between, uh, I guess, basically between U of T and York times. So, yeah, it was, it, it was fun. And I think I did uh, 32 or 33 issues of that over, over 10 years. You should do, like, a book. Yeah. Like compile all the... That would be fun. Mm. 
That'd be fun. Yeah, it, it there is there there is a lot of them. I have to take out the two serious ones though. Either that I'll rewrite them and uh, just you know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've uh, kind of been around both caucus and the field in a few different ways, both from when it was kind of things were emerging, I think, as a field. Yep. Um, do you have any? And now that you're kind of no longer within the field in a formal way. Um, do you have any insights or thoughts on the direction that we're heading? Is there anything that you would... Uh... Uh, you know, we, I think the... the, the once, once upon a time, but I think, I think it's still the case. I, I'm, I'm not, I have no evidence to this, but again, it's the Trump era, so who cares? Right. Uh, I, think mostly, I think mostly people stumble into this stuff. You, you, you know, you don't... You're not in grade 10 thinking, I'm going to be a student service professional. You go to university or college and you see it, you become a part of it, you get a chance to do it, uh, and you think, I really, I really like this, or I think I have something to offer, or I want to dig deeper, and what, what does all this mean? And, and what that gave the profession was a whole bunch of people who, who came in with a whole bunch of other interests. Right. who came from different places, who came from arts and science, uh, the humanities, and, and, and it, it wasn't, there was, there was a, a good uh, a diversity of, of uh, uh, intellectual curiosity and things. And I hope that that will remain the case. Um, you know, creeping credentialism uh, can, yeah. can be sad sometimes. I think maybe... Um, just does does that make does that narrow it or does that uh, does that uh, strengthen it? I don't know, uh, but I know that sort of back in the day, uh, we had um, we, we had broad uh, viewpoints on what to do around student services. Now that being said, I think that the people that have the opportunity to do it now are much broader. Uh, you know, from 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 every aspect sure. of diversity. Uh, than, than there was uh, back in the day. I, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I, could, if I could pinpoint a trend that, that worries me or, uh, or not. I hope that um, the people that get into, uh, into the game, into the business, the profession, whatever we want to call it, uh, do so because they, they really want to make a difference in the lives of students. And right. they can... Uh, you know, I'm I'm amazed that there are people who have been doing it uh, for so long, and they can still they're still solid centered and heartfelt about that single principle, making life better for these students, knowing that you know um, this is this is all new to them. Your your first year student hasn't been through this before. You've seen it a hundred times. You know, I started to question myself. In the, in the last couple of years, sitting across the table from somebody I recognized as me in my first year, who was uh, um, a little bit bullheaded and, and not understanding that other people uh, could be uh, offended by the things I was saying or doing, probably a, a, a well-meaning enough person, but not, you know, and I was like, haven't I seen you before? Didn't I see you in the mirror in 1977? Right. Didn't I see you in my office in 1987? 
Then I see you in 1990. You know, it's just got to the point where I need a new place. I need a different sandbox to play and I need a new application for my skill set. Right. But for the people that can stay in it, if you can honestly wake up in the morning and say, no, today's the day I'm going to knock it out of the park. I'm going to get it right. I'm going to I'm going to take everything I know and all the all the good and all the bad. And today I'm going to make, you know, that individual student, I'm going to make a difference in their life and it's going to be a positive thing. I was coming through here uh, uh, to, to meet you through uh, the U of T grounds in St. George campus, past my old stomping grounds, past University College, past Convocation Hall. And I remember in, you know, one of the pivotal moments in my professional life was I had this woman had come to my office, young woman, who was having a rough time of it, uh, you know, socially and, and things. Her family was not supportive, and she and I just, I said, "Hey, I've got to, I've got to go to Kinko's or something, get something up. Come and walk with me, and we'll talk about it." And we did. We walked and we talked. We talked more and we talked more. And there was nothing about it that was like, I'm applying some kind of a theory, I'm doing something else. And I remember in convocation, I had uh, the opportunity to be hooding people. And it was, she was in, so I had a line and and, uh, somebody else had a line and she was in the wrong line. And she, she changed lines with somebody, so it would be me that would do it. And every, you know, everything's very formal, and you shake hands and stuff. Right. She'd have none of that, and she just uh, uh, gave me a big hug uh, on stage. And, you know, at Convocation Hall, and it was like, man, that's what it's all about, you know. Absolutely. Just being a good, just just being there for somebody probably is as much uh, as as you can do. And all the all the studying in the world, and all the all the you know all the professional knowledge that you can gain if it's not uh, heartfelt if it's not you know really because you want to help people and because you're uh, you, you can you can be empathetic I think that it's not the it's not the game for you you should get out mm. that's such a good good point to kind of start to wrap up on although I did have a whole set of questions to ask you about your participation in the Rhino party. Okay. But maybe that's for another interview. At yeah, another yeah. Party. Yeah, that's a, that was another life. <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing that Nona Robinson got me into. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. They uh, So Doug and Nona, we started the peak with a short story, but uh, we, uh, we shared a house together, and uh, I'd been out the night before. They got up bright and early. And, and read a story about the rhinos and decided that I should be the candidate in Guelph for the federal rhino party. And they called me up and I'm like, I don't care, do whatever. <laughs> By the time I actually was like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed about four in the afternoon, they'd arranged for a press conference. They had material. And I'm like, oh, suddenly I'm the rhino party candidate. So yeah, again, thank you, Nona. Thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I've got some rapid-fire questions for you. Um, are you a dog or a cat person? Dog. Dog, no question. Uh, lake or ocean? Lake. No sharks in lakes. No sharks in lakes. Um, do you have any nicknames? Uh, my friend Gina, who I call Tina, calls me Marv. Marv. Um, what was the last book you read? 
I am like completed, or I'm in the middle of. So I'm reading Harold Bloom's uh, uh, thing on um, Falstaff, his new book on Falstaff, which I, he's my favorite character in Shakespeare, and uh, and I read the New York Times book review on it and it sounded great, and so I'm, I've just just touched on that. Um, would you rather? always forget everyone's names or have everyone always forget your name? Oh, you know what? That's a great question because I, I have, it seems way more people know who I am and I don't know why. <laughs> and I've just like, I think for a day I'd, I'd really like to remember everybody's name and have them go, oh, I don't remember how I know you. Can you help me out? That would be great. Um, what is something that folks would be surprised to learn about? Uh, oh, I, I cry at the stupidest things. Like, so I don't know. Maybe I, one never knows what kind of reputation. You have, but I think some people think I'm I'm cynical and bitter and things. And I'm I'm actually I'm I'm the most sentimental. My my 12 year old son laughs at me, laughs at me because I cry. It's like I watch his, It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas, and I just bawl my eyes out every single year. Um, the last. It's not so much a rapid-fire question so much as I found a really awesome quote on your LinkedIn that someone, and I just wondered if you had any responses to it, which is, funny like Woody Allen, handsome like Brad Pitt, Marty Williams is the whole package. Yeah, I, I, and anybody who's ever met me knows that neither one of those things is true. <laughs> I thought it was like an amazing endorsement on a LinkedIn profile. It it was, and it was just because I really don't care about my LinkedIn profile. I'm not looking for work or anything. So uh, this uh, friend in Guelph, Chris Thiessen, said, said, you want me to, I think he was more into the LinkedIn thing. And I said, yeah, just say, you know, like that I'm, you know, handsome and funny and stuff like that. And that's what he wrote. That's what he said. My LinkedIn took a turn when my mom joined and started endorsing me for like public speaking and project management. I was like, Thanks, he mom. picks up after himself very well. <laughs> you know, even when Adam was a boy, he, would, he wouldn't leave his underwear on the floor. It's like almost at that level. It's terrifying. Um, oh, so my final question... Mothers will always be mothers. Right? Uh, is, this is a relay, so Mark and Amy have passed the baton to you. Do you have any thoughts on who I should be interviewing next? Well, yeah, the, some of the people that I've talked about Go ask Nona Robinson about the Rhino Party. Okay. Uh, Nona's at uh, Trent, uh, and uh, uh, Jana Luker, who is now at Western, we won't hold that against her, even though, well, you know what? She went to Western as an undergrad for a little bit and then came back to oh, Guelph. I didn't know that. Uh, so she started at Guelph, went to Toronto, CNFX, McGill, and now is at a Western. She's got a story to tell. Okay. Uh, you know, circumnavigating the Atlantic Ocean could be one of those things. Right. And uh, uh, she does, and, and Nona does. Um, uh, Jason Hunter, who's at uh, Humber, yeah. he'd, uh, he'd be a great guy to talk to about some of the early days, some of his time down in Vermont uh, watching fish concerts. And having people go, so the big thing I think uh, when he went from from uh, Guelph to Vermont, and uh, the, uh, the the drinking age being 21 in the U.S., and just went into marijuana culture, not Jason himself, but the thing he dealt with as as right. a as a life guy. I do think that Jason holds the record of of a live-in position 
So his entire time at Guelph as an undergraduate, as a residence manager, and then he went and lived in at Vermont, and then he lived in at uh, University of Alberta, and then he lived in at U of T at Victoria College. So until he went to Humber, he had lived on campus that entire time in a professional capacity, a full-time professional life. And I think you could probably lay down the gauntlet and see if there's anybody else who's got that kind of kind of thing. But Jason, and I, and I love Jason, you know, like we started off together and stuff, but he, he could sit there like the Buddha in a room full of chaos and just be happy, if, especially if the hockey game was on. Right. You know, he, and he'd just be like, this seems fun. I think until he uh, started having kids, and then he realized maybe have to move off campus. I think he did. I think he did twenty years, including his undergraduate. I think pretty close to twenty years of living on campus. Which is kind of humorous. There's a lot of younger professionals who will do like one yeah. or two years, and like oh, I need to get off campus. I can't take it anymore. Yeah. Which, you know, if that's their their journey, that's fine. But it's also when you hear about people who have done it for. 15, 20 years yeah. puts it into some context. And I know that you've got a lot of people, uh, you know, from from Toronto uh, institutions. I guess Humber is a Toronto institution, although I don't know if they think so. Um, but Heather Lane Vatier, of course. And you, and, you know, you could ask her about why she was telling all these people these fantastical stories about my competence and uh, things, uh, because she's really the one to blame for having me sitting here today. And uh, Janet Morrison, who's had a really, really interesting career. Uh, she and Heather went down to Bowling Green State to get their PhDs together. They came back and she was at uh, George Brown. Uh, she was at uh, York in, in a whole bunch of different capacities and different faculties there before becoming the VP students and now has moved on to Sheridan. All these people we started with. Yeah. But you notice everybody's got a Guelph connection because, you know, it is the center of the universe after all. <laughs> no matter what you Toronto people say. Well, it's interesting because I've done six interviews now for this season and three folks have suggested Janet Morrison. Yeah? Yeah. That's great. So I think she's got a really interesting story. Yeah. And she's she's smart as a weapon. She's like, and a really nice person too. Yeah, she's a legend. Can't wait for us to interview her. And, and... Unlike my LinkedIn profile, she is actually, you know, well, she's not handsome like Brad Pitt. She's, she's got she, some other qualities. She, she's a good-looking woman and smart and funny. Awesome. As they all are. Well, I'm so grateful for you making the track down to U of T to hang out with me and have a beer and talk um, on the record. I'm we weren't supposed to tell people we were drinking beer all this time, Adam. Oh, I'm, I wonder if they heard that the ice in my side are <laughs> jingling as I was drinking it. <laughs> uh, and they probably heard like the background music and anyways I just really appreciate it thank you so much for your time uh, it, it's a pleasure and a great walk down memory lane for me and uh, got me uh, thinking about some things that I hadn't for a while and you know like I said I had a, I had a great time and uh, I might still be working in student services uh, if uh, the commute hadn't got me down or if, you know something else yeah. hadn't come up but you know it's uh it was really great. How old are I? I'm 58 now. I was 53, 52, uh, and, and changed careers. And, yeah. you know, so anybody who thinks that the only skill, if, you, if you're thinking that you only have a skill set to do a certain thing, 
man, you, you, you do your time in student services, you've got a lot of transferable skills. Absolutely. And uh, don't, don't sell yourself short. Awesome. Thanks, Marty. So there you have it. I hope you liked it. I just loved chatting with Marty. It was one of those conversations that just could have kept going. I think that's kind of the kind of guy Marty is, so willing to share himself and his ideas. Thanks, Marty. And thanks, Amy and Mark, for the nomination. This is our last interview before we announce our new co-host for the podcast. Who could it be? Any guesses? Well, it won't be long now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Special thanks to Adrian Ross, who made the theme music, and John Horvatton, who did all of our design work. If you have any questions or concerns, please don't hesitate to get in touch with me. And especially if you have any ideas of folks we can interview for the podcast, we're always looking for students, staff, faculty, um, anyone who is connected to student affairs in Canada to interview for the podcast. Please let us know. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.